Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So I get to share the word with you this morning, and I'm so excited. As soon as I started praying about what the Lord had on his heart for you, I immediately was drawn to a particular book of the Bible, Galatians. And so <laughs> here's just what I want to say. We're going to, I know we've said this a lot, but we're going to start going through the entire Bible. You guys know this? We're, we're doing a year through the entire story of the Bible, hitting all the high level pieces so that you can walk away after one year having a big picture of the heart of God for humanity. And I know many of you have read through the Bible before, and that's amazing. We are designing and about to launch inside the YouVersion app, uh, the Bible app, a year-long 365-day plan. Now, we'll roll it out monthly so you don't feel super overwhelmed. And uh, it's just been our joy to be developing this with you in mind and listening to the heart of God as we're reading scriptures in Genesis right now and receiving things for you to be encouraged by on a daily basis. And then these devotionals, these daily devos, which are designed really to be done alone. You could do them with your small group. You could do them with your family, even little kids. And uh, these are going to ramp up to each sermon, each message, each week. So you're going to be reading along and then Pastor Jason's going to be preaching right to where you were in the Bible. Isn't that going to be fun? So, and I just want to say it's been in large part thank, thanks to the team that's doing it here, but also to the Bible Project. Our friends over there have put a lot of horsepower behind designing this with us so that we could publish it and get it launched for you. Isn't that cool? So, all right. Now, here's the deal. The danger in reading the Bible you might say, is there danger to reading the Bible? Yes, there absolutely is danger to reading the Bible if you read it with the intention of collecting a list of do's and don'ts. How many doers do we have in the house? Just grunt at me if you're a doer. There we go. The thing is, we have a tendency as human beings, this is not just a problem here, this is a problem everywhere, where we focus on performance. We want, we want to look at metrics. We want to know how good am I compared to other people and how good am I doing compared to the standard that God's laid out there? So what do we do? We read the Bible and we collect all these lists. You know what that really is, though? You guys aren't going to like this very much. You might even get mad at me, so after the message, I'm actually going to hide, probably. But no, the thing is, that is actually called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness doesn't please the Lord. In fact, as you'll see as we un unpack these scriptures we're going to look at today, there's something entirely different that God wants from you. And it isn't your performance. Now I know, I know. Most people when they preach on grace, they are always counterbalancing it with, yes, it's grace, but you also need to behave yourself. Is that actually true? Do you have to behave yourself? I believe that there's an invitation on the table for us to step into a new level of freedom with Jesus. Because I, I would venture to bet that there are people in this audience right here or watching online who every day are living like they're under the old covenant still. But they're, they've accepted Christ, so they're in Christ, but they're living as though they're not. You see, there's this weird tendency that happens in Christianity where we lead people to Jesus and we're like, isn't this great news? You're free. Like, man, God's forgiven you. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing to the nations. It's amazing. And everybody's like, wow, this is so cool. And then the very next day, we're like, but here's the list of all the things you need to do. You know what they call that? They, they call that a law, freedom, law, sandwich. Or if you're from the Midwest, a sandwich. I don't even know where they came up with that pronunciation. 
And I don't believe that was the intention of Christ to come and free us just to put us back into slavery again. So we're going to look at Galatians because no letter says it quite like Galatians says it. We're going to bounce through a number of scriptures, so, you know, I hope you have your Bibles ready. So this, I just want to remind you, though, this is not a work of the intellect, okay? We need to use our intellect. God wants to do a work of the Spirit this morning for you. God wants to set you free in your heart and mind. Spiritually speaking, he wants to set you free. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, and I want you to agree with me, asking God for freedom. Does that sound good before we get into this? All right. Jesus, I thank you that when you left, when you ascended, you didn't leave us alone, but you sent the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth to point us to the Father, to comfort us, to teach us, to convict us of righteousness. And I thank you for that, God. And we ask together right now that you would teach us and open the eyes of our hearts, God, that you would sensitize and tenderize our hearts again to what it means to live in the Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We give you permission to take off every shackle Everything that binds us, that is not for your glory, take it off in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians. Paul wrote Galatians. This was his first letter, actually, that he wrote, before Romans even. This was written to the churches in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, these guys used to be pagan before. They were not Jewish. They were Greek. And there's some interesting observations from the book of Galatians, and that is this, that in every letter that Paul wrote, he always wrote a greeting, some kind of personal salutation. Because you know they're in scrolls. They weren't like letters we have now. They're in a scroll, and you'd open it and say who it's from. That makes sense. And then who it was to specifically. He would greet some folks. In this one, he skipped all the formalities. He just said, hey, this is from Paul, an apostle, not from men. He's basically saying, what I'm about to tell you is not from people. This is from God, and you need to listen. And he's speaking to churches that he started and planted and let like, go and launched them. But he didn't say anything to anyone in particular. He jumps right into correcting them. Isn't that always awesome? Don't you love it when someone just says, hey, let me correct you, first thing out of their mouth. Then the other thing he does is he makes a case for himself why he is an apostle. He defends his message saying this isn't, ju- this isn't from somebody else. This came from a revelation of Jesus. I thought it was so cool that he doesn't say this is a revelation from Jesus. He says this is a revelation of Jesus. Meaning, when he was on the road to Damascus and he got knocked off his horse, literally and figuratively, and God blinded him and showed him the Lord Jesus, he said, I am the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting. He literally, God revealed Jesus to Paul, and it changed everything. Okay? The other thing Paul does that's pretty amazing in this book is he makes a case for what righteousness is. This book is regularly referred to as the Magna Carta of Liberty. This book actually fueled the Reformation in the 1500s. Martin Luther, you may remember this guy, he was was set on fire by this book, and that brought about the Reformation, the bringing out of many captives from under the slavery of the law into the freedom that is available in the spirit. This, the language that is used in Galatians, by the way, is like someone who is extremely upset. This is one of the, one of those letters that is so charged with emotion, some scholars just don't even like it because it's too emotional. It's not logical enough. 
It's too emotional. It uses lots of language that's like fiery hot, like white hot language. He even uses some stuff that's so crude, I won't repeat it in the church here for you. But he wrote it to them saying, this is what you're trying to do and this is what it looks like. The examples he was using were trying to shock them back into the reality of the spirit, the life in the spirit. The other thing that Jesus or that Paul aggressively opposes in this letter is a gospel that is a Jesus plus gospel. Now, Jesus plus isn't some subscription you can get for $6.99 a month or whatever it is you would do. The Jesus plus gospel is a gospel that says, sure, the work of Jesus, awesome. However, there's some pieces missing that we need to add to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Really, the question that he brings up is this. Is it just Jesus? Or is it Jesus plus something else that comes from us? Peter, you all know him. He helped start the church. He was one of Jesus' disciples, the guy who cut off the ear, that guy. Peter got confronted by Paul, and he talks about it. Paul talks about it in this letter where Peter himself was living as though Jesus, him, Jesus wasn't enough. He had to add to it as well. And Paul stood up and confronted him in front of everybody and said, how in the world are you doing this to people who aren't even Jews? You're now not living like a Jew, but then you live like a Jew, and then you expect other people to also live like a Jew who are not Jews. What are you doing? I would have loved to see that fight. If you don't like conflict, that would have been a really a big one for you to sit in on. But Paul asks this very poignant question. Is Christianity really what, it, what Luther called Christus or so, solus Christus or Christ alone? Is it really that simple? Is Christianity really just about Jesus? Is it really Christ and nothing added on top. Really? And I ask you the same. What do you believe about the gospel of Jesus? Is it Christ? Or is it Christ plus things that come from you? Now, there's a problem with this. Obviously, logically, if it is Christ plus other things, then what are those things? Who makes the rules about those things? Where's the limit? Is there like a bare minimum, kind of scrape into heaven kind of threshold? Really, the main thing that Paul was defending here is that salvation and life in the spirit isn't Christ plus other things. It's just Jesus. Contextually here, you have to understand that after Paul went through and planted churches in Galatia, which he was super stoked about, a bunch of Judaizers who were Jewish, who had now become Christian, but were following the law still, came up right behind him and scooped up his churches. Can you imagine how frustrating that would have been? Can you see why he says things like, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you, right? It was before your very eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works or by the law, by hearing or by faith? And he's challenging them because these Judaizers came in and took these guys into their fold and then started teaching them, yes, you received Jesus, but you're missing a step. And that is you need to also walk in the law, including being circumcised. Funny, not so funny, is some of them actually did get circumcised only to receive this letter later and find out that that was unnecessary. Huge bummer. Huge bummer. <laughs> and I don't want you to think that this is a problem that only happened in Galatia. This happened a lot in the early church, and guess what? It continues today. You may not have someone who is a messianic Jew coming up to you telling you you have to wear clothes made of one type of fabric and not blends or whatever, but you yourself and even our Christian culture teaches a Jesus plus gospel often, more often than we want to admit. I'll tell you this, 
For my, for my life personally, this is one of the biggest challenges for me, is that I am not walking with Jesus. I am not not doing certain things and doing other things because I'm trying to earn some spot before the Lord or some kind of something from him. That's not why I'm living the way I'm living. I have a different motive because I'll tell you what, when you have a revelation of Christ, it changes the things you think about. It changes your priorities. It changes even your motives of why you would do what you would do. But I will tell you this, it's very easy to slip back into rule keeping, list keeping, and essentially scorekeeping before the Lord. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't keeping score anymore. And if he's not, why are you? Why am I? It's because the root of sin is still alive in our flesh. But we're not trying to live by the flesh. We're trying to live by the spirit which is free. But that root of sin wants us to take pride in ourselves. And that's one of the reasons we score keep. That's one of the reasons we create lists and gather lists for ourselves and others. I believe there's a better way. So Paul brilliantly illustrates a spectrum that we can live on in Galatians. Really, it looks like this. It's legalism on one hand, license on the other hand, and liberty in the middle. We're going to unpack this for a minute, but he, he basically takes the legalism portion he covers in chapters 3 and 4 of Galatians, right? And he says here, basically confronting the least legalistic mentality that Righteousness is not available through the law, so stop trying to attain it through the law. And I describe legalism like this. It is attempting to achieve through works that which is only available through the work of Christ. Legalism is trying to attain through your works what Christ has already given you through his work. You hear what I'm saying? It's like trying to obtain something you already have. But because you didn't earn it, you have a feeling of needing to earn it. Voltaire says this. He says, in the beginning, God created man. And ever since, man has been attempting to return the favor. That's a pretty sharp thing to say. What is he getting at? Basically, we just can't imagine God being so super benevolent because none of us are like that. We just can't imagine that. We can't imagine that he would say, hey, it's grace and nothing else. Just believe it. Have faith, nothing else. That's it. Tick, done, list is over. It's complete. We can't imagine that because we imagine that God is like us, that he's judgmental, mean, vindictive, impatient, unloving, a list keeper, ready to jump on you and punish you at any moment to try to keep you in line. Because like we think God's highest priority is just to keep us from sinning. Is it? I don't think so. Can I give you a little preview of the end of the message? God's highest priority is that you would step into a place of relationship with him. So you could understand why certain things would actually make it difficult for you to relate to God and why he would say, probably don't want to do that stuff because it ruins your relationship with him. It taints it. It doesn't, I'll say this, God is so large, there's nothing you could do that would make him hate you or stop loving you, okay? But the things you do affect the way that you think God perceives you or you, the, your perception of what God thinks of you. That's why making a habit of sin is so dangerous. But Paul here is basically thinking or telling us it isn't through your behaviors or your ability to keep the law. It just isn't. It is only through Christ. 
Legalism at its best controls one's behavior and produces action through obligation, which ignores the heart of God. Do you hear what I'm saying is the controls of legalism, the do's and don'ts, don't produce a heart change. They may produce a behavior change at best, but it is done out of obligation to God. And let me ask you this, those of you who are married, how would you like it if you found out after all these years being married that your husband, let's say this, husbands, you'll be the ones who are surprised, that your wife decided to marry you because she felt obligated to. That would change your marriage day, wouldn't it? That would change everything about your quote-unquote love story, wouldn't it? Because it's done from obligation. God's desire from you is not that you complete things from obligation because you have to. God's desire for you is that you respond to him from a place of love because you want to. Because you want to. Where does that want to come from? I'll tell you where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come from your will and beating your chest and being like, I'm just gonna. No. It actually is a fruit of the Spirit. The desire, the love and kindness that flows out of being in a relationship with God, like John 15 says, Jesus is like, apart from you, you can't do anything, so abide in me. You're gonna bear a lot of fruit. You can't do it otherwise. But man, I tell you what, that root of sin and self-righteousness just wants to drag us back into that mentality every single day. And you literally need to do warfare against that. I'll tell you what else legalism does. It aligns itself with the law. The law is my friend. Why then do churches, why do we teach the law if it's grace? And I'll tell you why. It is easier to lay down rules and regulations than it is to walk in a process of discipleship with people. That's just the honest truth. We do it to our kids. We do it to our Sunday school classes at times. We, we do it to our friends. We just give them a law. Give them a rule. Follow this rule and you will be okay. But certainly don't want to have to walk with you in the mess. Those of you who know what real discipleship looks like, though, you understand that rules don't change the heart. It's in the relationship and introducing them and exposing them to more and more of Jesus and the truth of what he cares about. That changes a person. The other thing that legalism does that I think is just so funny is when we're under legalism, we actually don't experience the benefits of Jesus. Galatians 5.2 says this, Look, I, Paul say that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you or no advantage to you. Or another version says, Christ's work will be unprofitable to you. So I want you to just press in with me for a second here and think about this. That means if we are denying the work of Jesus by accepting our own works instead, we are receiving the fruit of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit, because that fruit only comes through the work of Jesus, not through our own work. You guys follow what I'm saying? That's why Paul says, he says, if you accept circumcision, meaning if you accept works of the law, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And that is why living under the law as born-again Christians is one of the worst things we can do, because it's trying to force out of us fruit that is not available because we are not connected to the spirit of freedom and liberty. We're, un- we're putting ourselves again under the law. Now, you might say to me, well, I'm not under the law. All of us are prone to being under the law. And one way you can kind of think about it is Do you ever slow step going towards Jesus in a quiet time or spending time with him because you know you haven't really been a good person recently? The way you treated your wife or your kids or your coworker, the fact that you did something a little bit unholy through your window at a driver next to you on the highway or whatever it might be, right? So then you're like, 
You come into church and you're like, man, I was just yelling at my kids in the car. Now you want to just go, who of us walks in and we're like, oh man, I just want to worship right after something like that. No, because why? Because we actually have forgotten that we're under grace and we're not under the law. We still think we're under the law and our performance like, like, hey God, look at me. But Paul warns against that. He says, man, I count everything I have accomplished in the past as loss, as rubbish, as nothing. And we can do the same. By the grace of Christ, we can do the same. Now, here's the funny thing. When we're living under the law, even a little bit, it is very hard for us to imagine any other option to living under the law than living in what we call license. Liberty to just do whatever we want because, hey, all is forgiven. No big deal. But that is thinking of the flesh. That's a worldly perspective. There's a third way. So you've got, you've got Galatians talking about legalism. You've got Galatians talking about license which is a lifestyle that's under the flesh. It aligns itself with the desires of the flesh, what the flesh wants, not what God wants. And yes, that is an option. Even for born-again Christians, you can pendulum swing out of law and go over to license if you want to. But remember, even in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is telling the people, hey, remember all the commands that the Lord gave you to do and do them faithfully because he gave them to you for your own good. Right? And so that, but that picture of, of license or what the world calls freedom is actually destructive. And it doesn't produce in us anything to be thankful for. The question that someone living over in license territory asks is, what can I get away with and still go to heaven? Right? Like, where's the line? How close can I get? Forgetting that actually you're either in Christ or you're not. There is no variation of in or out or kind of in and kind of out. You're in Christ or you're not. And this is why I think the church preaches a counterbalanced message to grace is because those of us who are under the law, we can only imagine the other alternative is license. And to try to protect people from sinning, we lay rules on them to tell them what they ought not to do. But we're in a new covenant. And here's the thing, Paul Paul addresses this because this is a very valid question. Well, what then? You know, are we supposed to just, can we just do whatever we want? And I hear that so much when I'm teaching on grace. And I want to read to you a chunk of scripture out of Romans chapter 6. And it says, what then? This is Paul. I love his attitude here. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to who you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin you become slaves of righteousness, meaning to serve the purpose of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented yourselves as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, you hear that? Lawlessness goes toward more lawlessness, toward more lawlessness. So now present your members, your body, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification, sidebar, becoming more like Jesus a little bit every day. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free, in a worldly sense, in regard to righteousness. You didn't have to obey righteousness. But what fruit, I love this question, what fruit were you getting at, the, at that time 
from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin, I'm going to rephrase this because we've heard this a million times, sin pays you the dividend of death. The wages you earn from practicing sin are death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that awesome? So this leads us to our next place on the spectrum, which is the place of liberty. And if you can imagine like a, almost like a bell curve like this, I think that's a bell curve. You have legalism, you have license, and in the middle, this high place where the Lord invites us to is called liberty. And he, Paul defends this aggressively in chapters one and two, if you want to read it later. But he says this in Galatians 5.1, reminding them in the place where he's talking about legalism, reminding them about freedom. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I tell you what, when I was a teenager and growing up into my 20s, I literally thought that Paul was talking about a yoke of slavery to sin like the things that I struggled with. Like, man, I've been set free from that stuff and I don't need to do that stuff anymore, but I keep returning to it. You guys know the mentality, right? Like just trying to be a better Christian. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying the yoke that he's talking about not returning to, that thing an animal will be yoked to and strangled by and have to work under is the law. It isn't sin, it's law which then awakens sin in the flesh. He's saying you are dead to the law. You are free from the law. There is no obligation on you anymore. Everything that you do gets to be done from a place of a love offering to Jesus because you love him, because you have experienced his love and his goodness in your life. Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, literally, guys, you are free from the law. And some of you are probably like, well, I know I'm free, but I'm, I mean, we're not all the way free. Okay, then maybe you're trying to tell me that the work of Jesus was incomplete in some way. Is that what you're telling me? Because there's only one option. It's complete. Well, there's two options. I'm sorry. There's two options. It's either complete or it's not. And we're still under the law, which would be a huge bummer. Because then that means, according to the word of God, that Christ died for nothing. So here's the deal. We need to understand that to live in the place of the Spirit, God wants your heart. He wants your motive to be motivated by love, not from fear or obligation to uphold some standards somewhere. Life in the liberty, in the Spirit, walks by the Spirit according to Galatians 5.16 meaning it walks in step with what the Spirit desires. It doesn't set itself as the standard. It doesn't seek its own righteousness by its own performance. It doesn't decide on its own way. It actually walks in step with the Spirit. My wife walks a little bit slower than I do, and I sometimes have to just slow my pace down to walk with her. God is inviting you to walk with him. Walk with him. Know what he wants. Know what he's thinking about. Know what he desires. I tell you what, as we go through the story, the whole Bible together, it could be very easy for you to have a little side notepad in your spirit that says, God wants me to do this, and he wants me to do that, and he doesn't want me to do this, and oh man, I really like doing that. Can't do that anymore. And just the list. No. I want you to read the Bible with these eyes. Look for what God, look for, let's say it this way, look for indicators of what God is like, his nature, his character, what he loves, what he doesn't love, what he desires, what his hopes are, what his dreams are, what disappoints him, what sets his heart on fire with love. What are those things? That's being attuned to the spirit. That's not 
It's not the mentality that lives under the law. That's the mentality that lives in the spirit. Understanding that to go all the way to license is to ruin yourself, to ruin others, to lose time. God wants you to walk in the spirit. The question remains, however, <laughs> what about the law? How, how do we as Christians relate to the law now? I'm glad you asked that question. To be specific, the law is 613 laws. That's the law that we've been set free from. And the purpose of the law, according to Galatians 3.19, was this. Why then the law? Great question, Paul. It was added because of transgressions. You hear that? It was added because the people were stiff-necked and arrogant. And so it was set in place later in Galatians 3 as a schoolmaster over us to keep us and protect us until the coming of the Messiah. Now I have five children. One of them who will remain nameless this morning can be a little bit stiff-necked sometimes. I don't know where she got that from. I literally, about a week ago, was like, hey, you do your math homework then. Because she was being so, oh shoot, I said she. This child was being so stiff-necked about allowing me to teach her the right way. She's like, I know what I'm doing. I don't know, no, no. Well, she got a 20 on her test. And when we said to her, well, you got a 20 on your test. You know, here's the thing. I knew she couldn't do the math. But I'm like, okay, you do it. I knew she couldn't do it. There's no way miracle of miracles wouldn't happen. There's no way. She got home. We said, oh, you got a 20 on that test. You know what she said? She said, well, a 20 is better than a 10. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. But that's still an F, which means failure. So... You obviously don't know how to do this. You don't know. You think you know. You don't. And I was talking with Pastor Jason about the law. I'm like, why would God give the law? You know, we hear people like, why would he tell people to do stuff they could never do? And I started thinking about that story with my daughter. I was like, I wonder if that's why God did it. And then I was studying for this sermon. And look, at, I came across this in Luther's commentary of Galatians. He says, why the law? A great question. Because man is proud and he dreams that he is wise and righteous and holy. So it is necessary that he should be humbled by the law. That that beast of the self-righteous opinion might be slain. For otherwise, no one can find or obtain what is truly life. The law was given for a number of reasons, but I believe that is God's primary reason he gave the law. Was to show us as people who constantly want to count our own good deeds as our own righteousness, that it doesn't count for anything. And we actually can't obtain righteousness through the law. We can't do it. It's not possible. So that we would be humble enough to then receive and actually look for the grace of God. And if there's anything I can leave you with this morning, it is that. Let the grace of God, like a mighty hammer, as Luther calls it, crush the law mentality in you. Let the law, the burden of the law, let it crush you so much that you dis have disdain for it, disdain for the prison of the law, that you would run from that prison into the arms of Jesus and find his grace and mercy in your time of need. The law can't save us. It couldn't save them, and it can't save you, and it can't save me. None of it can. None of it counts for anything regarding salvation and righteousness. Our standing before God is secure. If you are in Christ, your standing before God is secure not because of you, because of Christ. I'm going to read to you out of the Bible a number of scriptures, because I've said a lot of things this morning. 
But I want to just put this out there in all scripture form for you. Does that sound good? So follow along. Listen along. You don't have to try to follow along because this is a lot of scripture here. We're going to start in Acts 15, 10 through 11. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in this book of the law and do them. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, works of the law for righteousness, that Christ will be of no advantage to you. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? We mentioned this before. By no means are we meant to do that. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, Jesus, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge of Christ. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There's more. Whatever therefore does not proceed from faith is sin. Because remember the other scripture says, for Christ is the end of the law for, for righteousness to everyone who believes, who places their faith in him. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It misses it. It's not what God desires. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the like likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but in step with or by the spirit. Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, which cries, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave living in the slave mentality, which is by the flesh to do the works to earn righteousness. but you are an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those, those that by nature are not gods, but now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless, the law, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, then we, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law because we are justified by faith.
And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth, he's the truth, will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to, sl to sin. That slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 5, 1, my friends, for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery once again. The Son, Jesus, has authority over the law. Every day, all day, all the time. And he says, you are free. You are free. And I'm going to say this unapologetically, friends. There is no obligation on you to have to do anything. Now you have been set free. You have the freedom to say no to your old way of living. You have freedom to say yes to the new way of living. You have the freedom to give your life as an offering to God because you want to, because you get to, because you're alive and God's given you breath in your lungs and everything that holds you and chains you, you have the opportunity to kick it to the side by the grace of Jesus and walk in a new way. You are not under the law anymore. You are not under the law. And here's the truth. You're going to walk out of here today and you might think to yourself, yeah, but how am I going to keep myself from sinning? Jesus repeatedly shows us this example of people who were caught in the worst of the worst. You know the first thing he did when he met people like that? He didn't walk up to them and say, hey, yo, make sure you're following the law because I see you're breaking some rules here. He actually said, come in close. Look at Zacchaeus in the tree. The guy was a bad guy. And Jesus like, I'm coming to your house for lunch or dinner. The woman caught in adultery. He even said to her, where are those that condemn you? He had the power to condemn her and he didn't do it. And he was there. He said, where are the people who are going to condemn you? They're not here. He said, neither do I condemn you. So he, he accepts her, but then he says to her, don't go on, keep on sinning. Go and sin no more. So remember, God's grace isn't there to just say, hey, whatever you want to do is cool with me. Go wreck yourself, ruin your family. I'm totally happy with that. He's not because it doesn't bring glory to him. It really doesn't. But it doesn't bring glory to him to keep a list and try to be self-righteous. He wants you to fall into his arms and let him tell you, how much you're loved, how much he sees you, how much he knows every area of brokenness you struggle with, and he loves you the same. And that will never, ever change. So some of us need to humble ourselves and say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to keep the list. I've been trying to do all the right things, trying to look the right way, say the right stuff, try not to screw up because I'm insecure and I can't tolerate the thought of maybe being rejected by you or other people. And you just gotta surrender that and ask God to help you repent, which by the way is not another thing you need to do. Repenting is, some, is a way you change your mind by the grace of Jesus. You start to think differently about how he thinks about you. It's coming into alignment with the spirit. That's what repentance is. It's coming into alignment with the truth. And friends, we get the chance to do that by the grace of Jesus. So here's the deal. If you are in this room and you have never given your life to Jesus and said, Lord, Jesus Christ, be Lord of my life. I believe that you have saved me and you have redeemed me from everything I could ever imagine having gone through. If you've never done that, I just want to ask you to just lift your hand up because we're going to pray a prayer that we're going to rededicate ourselves and we are going to give you the opportunity to step into the family of God through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, through his work. So if that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you. 
For everyone else, you already have a relationship with Christ. I'm excited about that. I want to lead us in a prayer. So if you would bow your heads and join me and repeat after me the whole house. Jesus, you are enough. And once again, I set my faith in you. In your work, in your work alone, thank you for inviting me into your family. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's a joy to share with you as you read your Bible, let God challenge you to know him more deeply. He is inviting you into relationship. So let's stand. I'd love to pray you guys out. I think it's just amazing that we get to do this every week, to come together to worship, to exalt Jesus, to get charged up, and then to go out everywhere that God has called us to exalt him and bring his name to those who don't know him yet. It is such an honor to do this together. So let me pray and commission you guys as you go out into the week. Jesus, I want to say thank you for this family. I ask God that you would empower them afresh to walk in accordance with the Spirit and to no longer voluntarily submit themselves to the law, which is the law of sin and death. We, we just ask you, God, for your help, that you'd humble us and teach us to rest in the goodness of your work and respond to you from that place. So, Father, we speak peace. We speak freedom in this place, in every home, every household that's connected with this place, every business, everything that you're doing in and through this community, God, would you bless it and mark it with your presence. So we th say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for not judging us according to the laws our sins deserve, but judging us righteous through the work of Jesus. We say thank you. So I pray that you'd bless this family in the name of Christ. Amen.